Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Labor, employment, education are just some of the things we're going to unpack on this edition of Carolina Business Review. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs. We start in a moment. The president of Bennett College will join us as well. Stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Holly Childs from Wilmington Downtown Inc., John McDonough, City Manager of Greenville, South Carolina, and special guest, Suzanne Walsh, President of Bennett College. Well, we're glad to have Holly from Wilmington, John from upstate South Carolina in Greenville. Uh, welcome to you both. You know, here, here it is. Holly, I'll start with you. Uh, almost two years to the day that we really started shutting down life, businesses, kind of the way of life that we had. And now we're back, I almost say post-COVID in many cases. What is different now about urban core, about center city uh, from your point of view? Yeah, you know, I think, Chris, uh, so many things were changed and so many things were changed all at once. And for us, for Wilmington, being such a tourist town, being such a, a beach dependent and tourist dependent town, it really, um, you know, changed the way we did business. It changed the way our, our businesses had to function and uh, their hours. I mean, certainly their staffing, um, the hospitality businesses were tremendously impacted, all of the restaurants, retailers, hotels. Um, so we looked at other business models and, and, you know, other ways of trying to support the business communities, including, you know, offering to help them with some of the costs associated with, with cleaning and, and trying to get staffed up and those kinds of things. It's, it's been a challenge. I mean, I think we're back. I think you're right. It's a, we like to think it's a post pandemic world. We're still having to watch out for it and uh, be mindful, but it's, it's certainly better now. John, what's the same, same question. What's the permanent indelible changes now that are part of a Greenville and, and what an urban core is? Yeah, I, I think to Holly's point, if you had a well-prepared urban core, if you had a successful urban core, I think people mm -hmm. have, a, have a great longing to get back to some level of normalcy. Mm -hmm. We've seen that in Greenville. Uh, we had our, uh, you know, very significant fall for Greenville event last fall, several hundred thousand people back in Greenville. Uh, our restaurants are open, they're thriving. Obviously we've had the challenges that everyone else has had uh, from a, a standpoint of access to workforce. So what we've seen is a change in hours. Perhaps businesses who are open seven days a week are now open five days a week. They're no, not open as many hours as they used to be, but we've, we've rebounded very quickly. Um, I think the addition of 5G downtown for us, is, it, it's been significant. 
from a business support standpoint. I think we're doing well from a, a commercial occupancy standpoint here and our tourism numbers are coming back up. And an average year, we have about 5,000 visitors a year. And I think we're gonna expect something on that order uh, in 2022. Yeah, I, you know, this is not gonna be a surprise to anybody, but both Wilmington and, and upstate South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina are, are tourist destinations. I mean, very, very cool downtown for Greenville. Certainly uh, Center City and Wilmington's fun for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, hospitality, restaurants were hit hard, hit fast. Are those now back to where not they were from, you know, the number of people employed and, and total revenue, but again, Holly, is our restaurants, have they found their new reality? And is this how it's going to be? They have, you know, and I think um, just as John said, you know, that they were hit, but they adapted quickly. They were able to pivot quickly, which was key to their success. We did not lose a single restaurant to COVID um, in downtown Wilmington. And I think that speaks to, you know, the, the local support that the restaurants got, certainly, um, and also their ability to just kind of change it up to do, you know, more outdoor dining or social distancing or, or kind of just change the business model. And yes, they had shifts in hours and those kinds of things, but we are at 98.4% last I checked on downtown um, occupancy with our retailers now. And so it's hard to find a restaurant or a retail spot. Um, you know, it's not like a lot of cities that got really wiped out and have a lot of vacant storefronts. We just have not experienced that. Um, and it's back and, and, you know, people were, I think there was pent up demand. It's, it's stronger than ever. We had a fantastic, um, you know, summer and fall. Uh, we opened up a downtown music venue big live nation venue opened up in july so now um you know we've we've got that adding to the uh the vibrancy of downtown and and it's been great people want to get out john by the numbers what how about greenville what about the percentage of, of restaurants that that went away and back yeah, we, yeah that's a good question chris we weren't perfect but to, to holly's point i think given our strength as a, as a destination tourism destination and strong local support here uh we lost a handful of restaurants and you know that, that industry has basically been been very challenged across the country uh, as far as access to uh, to workforce. And I think what we saw is a lot of people took the pandemic as an opportunity to find alternative work. Uh, and you know we're we're seeing more and more people working remotely. And I think places you know in the, in the Carolinas, Greenville, Wilmington, uh, others have been the beneficiaries of that change. Are you are either one of you seeing now? a permanent emerging new hybrid work model. What, and what does it look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that is the new normal, uh, this hybrid work model. Um, we have a lot of uh, you know, corporate presence downtown. We saw that a lot of them uh, went remote, uh, but what we're seeing is they like to get their teams together maybe on a weekly basis to have a team building exercise, uh, quarterly corporate meetings. Uh, here in downtown. So I think they have definitely adjusted. And it's interesting, one of the things that we hear repeatedly when we talk with our, our local scaling companies, high growth companies here, is when, they're, when they are pursuing candidates for positions, the first question they get is not, you know, what, what's my salary and compensation going to be? It is, can I work remote? Mm -hmm. uh, which is very interesting. So companies have had to adapt. And I think here in the Carolinas, our, our, our you know, communities have been very uh, good at um, you know, being, being successful in that space. Holly, what do you think? Yeah, I think the same thing has is, is been true here in Wilmington. Um, you know, one of the things that we've seen, the corporate, particularly the big corporate presence here, um, you know, one of our, one of our big uh, companies, PPD downtown, that was recently acquired by Thermo Fisher, 
At one time, you know, pre-pandemic, there were 1,500 people working in that building. Now, on a daily basis, 50 to 60 people are in that building, uh, which has created some interesting real estate changes as well. You know, what, what do we need to do um, to kind of accommodate for the people that are wanting to come to work, but also, um, you know, open up more office space? Because we've, we've also got a growing um, tech office um, industry here. We've announced just since July 140 new tech jobs downtown, and those have been from smaller um, companies that are kind of getting into the Wilmington market and they're looking for that quality of life. Um, and, you know, whenever they're coming in, we're going to need more square footage, more real estate uh, for office. We're, we're at 96% office um, absorption as well. So we don't have a lot in terms of, of space. And I think there needs to be now that things are settling down a bit, um, some reshuffling on, uh, on utilizing our space downtown more wisely. You know, it, go ahead, John, please. I was gonna say we're seeing a very similar uh, situation here. We're, we're virtually out of class A office space, working mm -hmm. with a lot of our larger local developers. Uh, we have a number of uh, candidate companies in the pipeline that wanna be in downtown Greenville. So I think you're gonna see the construction of at least one, if not two, Class A office buildings in the next uh, next 12 to 24 months. And another area we've capitalized on from a marketing standpoint is we've got a whole new campaign called From Here You Can Change the World. And that all came out of the pandemic. And, and you know, Greenville has been in the news. Uh, the Carolinas have been in the news as, as a place. I think South Carolina is ranked number four in the country as far as relocation from the north and from, from the west coast. So we, we see that as an opportunity and, and, and we, we certainly intend to capitalize on that. John, let me ask you a one-off. You're city manager. Greenville is not a small town, as you just said, vibrant and growing. This idea of managing an organization and having this new model for workers, do you find some of your contemporaries on for-profit or, for, or not-for-profit side are now rethinking uh, a compensation? to say, well, okay, if you're hybrid, if you're not traveling, then we're gonna offer X in annual comp and it's not gonna be Y anymore. Is that is that a debate that's having more than just a kind of a passing uh, a dialogue? Yeah, th those conversations are being had. Uh, we're having them in our own organization. As we look at, you know, our, our city hall building's about 100,000 square feet and we're looking at opportunities, you know, based on new technology, based on what we've done for the past year, We've been very efficient. We haven't lost a beat. I think customer service has actually improved in the past two years. So I'm confident that we can, and we're seeing a lot of businesses take the same approach, you know, where you might've had to had 100,000 square feet in the past, you might only need 45 or 50,000 square feet, which translates into a lot of savings, but it also gives you an opportunity to uh, improve the quality of the space that you have. Um, we've got about a minute before we bring our guest on. Holly, I wanna unpack this thing literally in a minute. So Wilmington. Great destination, certainly a port city and, and close to the beaches. And we are weeks away from spring break, from summer vacations, et cetera, et cetera. What do you get this? Do you get the sense it's going to be as explosive in growth as it was last year? Or will there be some moderation? No, I think it's going to be as explosive, if not more explosive. Like I said, we have uh, where we just opened a new music venue downtown. Um, we have fully booked much more, you know, live music. Uh, people are gearing up, and people are in a better position to plan um, this year for all of that. So there are, you know, just even now, the weekends leading up to all of that, so much going on, so many festivals and things that were rescheduled and and put on the back burner. And uh, so we're excited. We think this is going to be the best spring summer in a very long time uh, for Wilmington, and uh, and we're ready. 
The Carolinas are the highest concentration of HBCUs in the country. Uh, a little less than 20, but not much less than 20. Very important schools, and I might even have that number wrong, but we welcome now the president of one of those HBCUs, Bennett College in Guilford County, North Carolina. She joins us now, President Suzanne Walsh. Uh, president Walsh, welcome to the program. Did I get that number right? How many HBCUs are in the Carolinas? Oh my goodness, I know that in North, in North Carolina we have 10, so I have to look up the South Carolina number, but I think you're right, I think it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. But welcome. Sorry, I didn't mean Thank you. To, you know. <laughs> Already. Oh, my goodness. Right. Thousand uh, dollar answer here. Uh, President Walsh, welcome to the program uh, again. And thank you for taking time. Let, let's start with the idea of HBCUs were culturally important. And but what is an HBCU now? Why is there so much talk and and push for the African-American university to have African-American students? Where does this go? Well, I think there's so much talk really nationally. You hear about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. You hear about it in the workplace. You hear about it at colleges and universities. And the way that I like to think about it is HBCUs are built for purpose. We always have been supportive of a place where students um, of African descent feel comfortable where they feel a sense of belonging, and more importantly, where they get an outstanding education. And so quite frankly, I feel like sort of the, the national dialogue is sort of catching up with where we've been in terms of saying, this is really an important group of people to focus on. If we're going to be successful in the economy, we have to make sure that all members of the economy have an opportunity to participate. And I think HBCUs historically and continue uh, to really make an impact in terms of, of preparing students for the future. Holly? Yeah, I, that's great. I think, you know, um, the the interesting thing to us is kind of how all the do you have a question for the president? I, I do. Okay. Oh, um, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. sorry about that. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, how are um, how are you really pivoting in terms of the pandemic? What are some unique challenges you think HBCUs face um, during the pandemic and how are you addressing those? Well, I think one of the things that we've really seen is that um, students rely on a sense of community on campus. I think earlier you may have talked a little bit about what um, what's it like to, even for employers, uh, to not have employees um, in their buildings all of the time. And, you know, we've had those conversations. What, what is that dynamic when, when folks are not in person? And so I think during the pandemic, I think that HBCUs have, have actually done two almost dichotomous things at once. And that's, uh, that's also a sign of innovation. So on the one hand, being a place where students know they can come back to, where they can come back in person, be safe, put all of the different protocols in place. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, at a place like Bennett, for example, we've also said, and we know some families or some students aren't comfortable coming back right now. And so we're actually hybrid. So we're allowing students to be virtual this semester or they could be um, in person. But that flexibility, recognizing that we understand their family context, their home context, being able to do that, I think has been a really important part um, of the, I think, our journey uh, during this COVID period. John. Yeah, Suzanne, access to talent is extremely important to companies, particularly in a post-pandemic environment. There's a huge competition, and you all play a key role in being, being able to fill that, 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 that void and, and that need. What uh, specific steps have you guys taken to connect your talent, your talented students with workforce opportunities that are out there now? I love this question because we're so small that we have our own sort of very, very different approach. And what that what I mean by that is 
we've been having great conversations where companies will say, we want to come, we want to set up a table at career day, you know, and, and hope to get one or two people. That's not really how it's phrased, but that's, you know, that's sort of the reality <laughs> of it. And what we've said is because we're small, we can actually match a student to you. And so when, once we have a, a conversation with you and understand this is what you're looking for, this is the type of student you're looking for, we can match. I wanna give a really quick example of um, actually a local uh, firm. Um, BRC has, um, they asked us about an intern. They said, we'd love to have an intern from Bennett. Um, could you help us? And, and we think we want somebody from accounting. Yeah, because of course that makes sense. They're accountants, of course. Um, and our vice president of academic affairs uh, had a conversation with them and she said, you know, based on what you've said, I'd love to match you with this computer science student who's really strong in mathematics. I think she'd learn a lot and be exposed to an area that would not have been on her radar otherwise. But she really, what I'm, what I'm getting at there is we have an opportunity to have some intimate conversations with business to say, tell us about the skill set you're looking for. And we may or may not respond just with, oh, yes, you said accountants, so we're going to give you accounting students. We really want to say, what's that skill set that could be a, an adjacent match, but a great match, and a student would have an experience that never would have been on their radar if we had had the more traditional kind of relationship uh, with a company. So I think this is an era to really hone in on, on competencies and, and really find those right matches with companies. Have you made any changes ahead, to your curriculum? Uh, as a result of the past two years, based on those lessons learned, a lot of, a lot of what we hear from from the business community now is uh, the ability to communicate, problem solving, uh, and and you know more and more with with people on their on their PDAs all the time. That's becoming more and more difficult. Do you guys have any intentional approaches to uh, dealing with those challenges? Well, as a liberal arts institution, we sort of start with problem solving um, as one of those areas, but we are making adjustments. And part of those adjustments are exactly what you're saying. We're listening to what our corporate partners are saying. We're listening to our nonprofit partners. We have a lot of students who, who are very interested in community service, civic engagement, and so forth. Um, and so we're, we're listening and we're in a process right now of reviewing our curriculum. Uh, but quite frankly, some of those things also come from outside of the curriculum. It's uh, so in the HBCU world, we talk about there's a second curriculum in the HBCU um, experience, and that really is about um, kind of the culture of the campus and and that sense again that sense of belonging and that sense sense of confidence. So looking both at at the curriculum, but also what are we offering co-curricularly, I think is critical uh, for helping students to be successful in those kinds of environments. President Walsh, you've made a couple comments about being small. Um, also, uh, Bennett is one of two um, female-only HBCUs in the country. So when you talk about having this nimbleness in your uh, student-to-professor to uh, ratio is seven to one, that's, that's yeah. pretty small. Can you remain competitive? Can, how do you scale when you're small? And would there be any type of tie-up or consolidation of Bennett with another school in the future? Oh my goodness, I don't know the answer to the last question, but what I will say is that what we're doing is real, we're really focusing intentionally on being small. And we wanted to do that because we know the students that we have, we wanna be able to really wrap ourselves around them and, and to be able to support them. Some of our students, I think, we, I, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but we have 75% of our students are Pell, are, are Pell recipients. Mm -hmm. And so that's higher than the national average. Um, and yet our students are, outpacing their peers in terms of their success in the workplace um, and out in the community. And so we think there's something there 
uh, in terms of our model and saying, we can really wrap ourselves around you, help match you with the right uh, employer opportunities or graduate school opportunities. And in terms of focusing on scale, right now we're focusing on let's get the model right. Let's let's make sure that we know how to perfectly serve those you know small number of students, and then let's talk about scale. So that's one thing. But in terms of a business model, what happens is when you say to yourself, "We're going to be intentionally small at a tuition-driven institution," then you have to say, "Well, what are those other opportunities for income for revenue?" And this is really allowing us, I think, to, to open ourselves up to a set of conversations that we hadn't been able to have before. How do we think about that? What does that look like in terms of, um, it could be corporate training because we have amazing faculty. You know, So, hey, some of the things you're looking for in corporations, we, we actually have the expertise on campus with our faculty. They could provide some of that training. Um, can we look at, you know, there's obvious things like renting space and so forth but really looking at ways that we can be part of our community in East Greensboro, help that local economy, and at the same time, looking at something other than revenue from tuition. I think that that's really important. We may be the first to talk about that out loud, but almost all of higher ed will have to have this conversation at some point in time. The demographics don't support growth and scale infinitely. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Holly? I think, too, you know, uh, President Walsh, speaking about the money, and it always comes down to the money whenever you have to pay for college as a parent uh, myself, uh, putting three through just now, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're doing to address this, uh, and I think it's a national problem, student debt? Um, you mentioned the Pell Grants and the Pell Grant recipients. Are there anything that you're looking at that's kind of innovative for how you get students through um, your curriculum through your program uh, to a degree without overwhelming student debt? We're, we're in the process of working on that. I think just like everyone else, we're trying to figure, we're, we, are, we are one of the top, I think it's top 10 most affordable institutions in North Carolina. So our tuition's not out of control, but we also wanna be realistic about what's affordable for folks. And so we're, we're really, we're evaluating that. I think that the other critical piece in that is that um, what we've seen across the country is we've seen that this is where the CARES Act money right now has been super, super important for, for a number of institutions in terms of helping to either um, clear, clear up you know, debt for, um, for students for North Carolina, for example, we've had some North Carolina CARES Act money to help support the students that we have from North Carolina. Um, and so I think that's made all of us really, it's not, it doesn't make us comfortable because we know that money won't come forever, but it's made us more alert to some of those opportunities. And so for me, I think it's a question of, can we, can we increase our, our scholarship, you know, pool um, very quickly? And that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is really just, again, exploring, exploring where we are, um as a, as a business model where are we where are we in terms of of price and costs and so forth mm -hmm. john suzanne um you know everybody's in a race for talent right now and it's it's in limited supply whether it's business government nonprofits, you name it uh what can we be doing as an organization to best compete for the talent at uh, hbcus what can we do to be welcoming do you have any suggestions on how we can compete for that talent I love that question. And I, so I have an example, but I can't name the organization. So let me, I'm going to give a, like a slightly cryptic, but it'll be a direct answer. So we just had a situation where um, 
actually my board chair just said to me, hey, I was at this meeting and they said that they had reached out to HBCUs. And I said, I'm the chair of the board of an HBCU and I don't see any of our students here. And um, so the person said, well, we, we emailed, we emailed all the HBCUs and we only heard, so there's a hundred of us roughly across the country. We only heard from 32. And so I went into my email because we were on Zoom, of course. And I said, oh yeah, I found that email. And so my board said, oh, well, well the, oh, she emailed, yes, she did. It's a generic email. So it's both from a generic account mm -hmm to generic dear presidents and chancellors for like a vague activity. <laughs> and so I say that because we get a lot of those. And it, but I can tell that these are companies that are willing and organizations that are saying, we know we want talent and we're going to email. But an email blast that's quite impersonal without making the case for why you're the place where we should trust that, that our students are going to do well isn't going to work. So I think one of the things is developing those relationships. We have to take time to really get to know each other so that we can do the kind of thing that we did with BRC, where we can say, hey, we can actually find you a great match. You're not going to do that at scale. I get that. But but you can still have great relationships with faculty, with the leaders of, of um, colleges and universities so that they can really get to know you. I think it would also be great um, to have almost like internships for faculty so that faculty could come to companies, you know, maybe it's in the summer and spend some time with a company and say, oh, oh, this is what it's like there now. You know, I, maybe I last worked there 10 years ago or even five years ago. It's not the same place, but looking for those opportunities that give a realistic preview so that then that recruiting is both one that feels more personal, it feels like, oh, we get each other, and also they have experience. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, President oh, no, no, Walsh. I think, I think Bennett's lucky to have you. I mean, good energy, certainly uh, are ready to take it on and have taken it on. Please come back, because we didn't unpack enough of it, but welcome and good to have you. Thank you, thank you so much. Holly, thank you. John, thank you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.